You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm greatly privileged to be here. It was a privilege to be here over the weekend uh, at the conference, and I greatly appreciate uh, being able to to be at another person's pulpit. I was a pastor of a church, and I was very protective of my pulpit. Um, I don't let just anybody be at the pulpit, and I know that Pastor Jim is similar, so I know it is uh, a privilege to to be able to be among you. Uh, I hope that you're still in um, Philippians chapter 1, that'll be the text that we'll look at today um, as we study. Thank you, brother. Uh, just quick, you know, Pastor Jim introduced me a little bit, and so my name is Andrew Rapport, I'm with Striving for Eternity, and uh, for folks that always seem to find an interest in the fact that I grew up in a Jewish home, and that was doesn't make my salvation any different than any of yours. People seem to think that just because you're Jewish, you somehow had some miraculous, uh, you know, testimony. Uh, my testimony was very simple. At 16 years old, I had someone who shared the gospel with me. And in a period of three hours, about three and a half hours, I went from believing that Jesus Christ is Hitler's God, because that's what I was trained, uh, to believing that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. And so I became a believer in Christ at the age of 16, did not share that with my parents in any way, shape, or form uh, for two years. They actually discovered I was a Christian when they were going through my room without my permission, found a bunch of chick tracks. Anyone remember chick tracks? <laughs> yeah, they weren't too thrilled. Um, so it, it was, it's a, an interesting struggle. Um, my parents basically informed me that they uh, were casket shopping earlier that day. They were going to bury an empty casket, and I was going to be dead to them. Uh, so that is uh, basically the way that uh, I have lived my Christian life. It's been difficult with my family. And we end up seeing that, as we'll end up looking at this, the text that we'll have in a moment to look at, that Paul also had struggles, and there's going to be much we can learn. Now, I understand the way the, uh, the, the church works here. So for the younger people... The word for you to be listening for is going to be eternity. But I never like to follow rules, so I'm going to expand them, guys. So I'm going to mention other words very often other than that. And I'm going to have $5 for whoever can name that one. So, but I'm not telling you what it is. And so whoever's in the back trying to count, oh well, only I will know. If you weren't here for the conference, you now miss, realize you missed a lot of fun, just saying. <laughs> but it, it was a privilege to be here. I would like to deal with our text that we have. And what I actually want to do to, is to provide some context here. So we understand because we're jumping into a text in the middle, that's never a good thing to do. So we need to, to kind of catch up with where Paul is in this book. So where Paul is in this book is Paul is, is in prison while he's writing this. He is chained to guards. 
Now, I believe that Paul sees the guards as a captive audience, and he is sharing the gospel with them very often. Why do I believe that? Because we do have in a document, you see, uh, well, he says that the entire imperial guard is hearing the message of the gospel, but we do have a, a text of, that says, basically a document that says that Paul kept having a new guard constantly shifted. There's no explanation of why. My belief is that Paul was sharing the gospel with him, and the Romans said, uh, yeah, we can't have you discipling your guards. That doesn't work. I think that is the reason they kept shifting the guards, is because Paul kept leading them to Christ. And that's why I believe he ends up saying the whole Roman guard, the whole uh, emperor's guard, is hearing the gospel. Now, Paul is in prison, a place we all want to go. No. Paul's in prison, though, not for something he's done wrong. He, he's imprisoned because he was speaking the truth and he understood the politics of, of the time. The Jews were out to get him. And what he ended up doing was having to appeal to Caesar to protect himself. He, as a Roman citizen, had to do that so that they would have a chance to appeal to Caesar and, and be protected by Rome. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen, but Philippi is a very interesting town because Philippi is the only town outside of Rome that if you were born as a freeman in Philippi, you were a Roman citizen. Why? Because Philippi was a town where when you were in the army in Rome, you would stay in the army. If you got to the level of general and you retired, Rome would give you land. And many of the Roman generals preferred the land of Philippi as the place that they wanted to settle down. That is important for this book because what you see in this book is that he uses a lot of military language because he's speaking to military people. He will speak about citizenship. Why? Because he's speaking to people that have a special privilege in the town that they're at. And we end up coming where he gets to the point where he's talking about the fact that he is being slandered by people even. We end up seeing that in the text before the one we're going to look at. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really happened to serve, to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for a defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I mean, that's the reaction we always have when someone slanders us, right? What drives Paul to have this mindset of eternity in such a way that he can be imprisoned, and people are there, and while he's in prison, they are slandering him outside, and he can rejoice even in that because the gospel is going forth. That is absolutely anathema to our pride, isn't it? We would never sit there and say, oh, well, I'm glad that I'm being slandered because at least the gospel is going out. What got Paul to this point that he could say that? 
You see, this was not something that happened overnight. Some people think that like people get saved and there should be this radical change. They should suddenly be perfect. No, no. Christians still struggle. And Paul, though, has been struggling for years and learning lessons for years. And what got him to this point is the fact, as we're going to see in the text that he now gets into, is that Paul had a very high view of Christ. So high was his view of Christ that he was going to say he values eternity more than this temporal life. He rejoices that the gospel is going forth. And by the way, the prisons back then were nothing like prisons today. I mean, he didn't have satellite dish TV and a weight system to work out in. Okay, this is a system where they gave you basic necessities, water, stale bread. If you didn't have someone outside the church, outside the prison helping you, then you had no means to take care of yourself. That is what this book actually was about. It's about the fact that someone who was taking care of him was sent from the Philippian church... And he got very sick and is going back home. And Paul knows that that church is not going to receive that well because if he sends, if Paul sends him home, he's got no one to care for him. He also knows there's a division that's going on in the church and he wants to deal with that. And so what you end up seeing this whole book is really about setting a perspective on eternity so that we would have unity. And that is his goal. And as we get to this text, we end up seeing where it is that Paul, his real desire is. He says here in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I want to point out that, and then you also see down in verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue. This is very interesting, because many people will speak about the will of God. There's many books about finding the will of God. I never knew it was lost. You want to find it, here it is. Open this book, start reading. I always love what Justin says. You want to know God's word? You want to hear the voice of God? Read the Bible. If you want to hear it audibly, read it aloud. The, The reality is that people keep trying to find the will of God. The thing I find very interesting about this and I'm looking very forward to Pastor Jim's next book coming out that's going to talk about some of this, but the thing that I find is that there are times when people think they know the will of God, and they're wrong. This is an example of one recorded in Scripture. Paul is convinced that he will be set free from prison. He believes the will of God is that he will remain on earth, not lose his life, be able to go back to the Philippians and minister among them, and that never happened. He ended up losing his life. Well, literally, he ended up losing his head. And this is important, I think, for folks, and this is kind of a side note to the message, but important for us to remember because the reality is God allowed Paul, I believe, to be convinced of something that God was never going to do. But for one reason or another, this is what God wanted for him. There may be a reason that we don't understand that God would let us believe that something is his will, meaning that there's, when I say his will, I'm not saying that we're looking for something like, ooh, I literally had this with a gentleman I was counseling. He was trying to decide between two jobs. To me, it seemed really easy. Every Christian told him to take a job that was down south. Every unbeliever told him to take a job that was up north. To me, that kind of made it simple. With every, all of the council, it was really clear. 
He took the job up north, which I think was why he kept talking to people. He wanted someone to agree with him that he wanted the job up north that paid more, but was going to cause problems with his family. He got the answer. He opened his Bible one day and it mentioned the word north. That's not how we determine God's will. There is no small, still voice that we hear. This is something that we look at Scripture, we look at the principles, and we follow them. But there are times in our life that we look at these principles, and either choice seems fine. Paul, I think, had that. He's looking at this and saying, either way is okay. There's nothing sinful or wrong or no principles that would say that he should be expecting that his life would be taken or not. But in this specific example, God's will was not for him to be let free as he had was confident he would be. I, I say that just to say when people are looking for the will of God, we often think that there's just one specific thing God wants for us. God is a multifaceted God. I mean, if you think about it, God knows everything going on in your life, and he's orchestrating things there. And the next person next to you's life, and the next person, and he knows how they all interact with each other. And he's actually so great. He's so above us, infinitely so, he can manage all of that. He's so sovereign, he can handle all of that. But we often think, like, it's only my life that matters. Like, i got to find God's will for my life. God may have a plan for you that affects someone else that you don't even know. Could be. But here you see that he is confident that he's going to be set free. It wasn't God's will. We end up seeing as we continue in verse 20, he says, and, and by the way, I should mention that he's, I think the part of the reason he's encouraging the Philippians with this is because he's sending someone back and he's going to be without care. And he's saying, whatever happens here, he's, he believes it's going to work out for his deliverance. Sending Epaphroditus back would seem counter to that to the Philippians. He's confident and saying, no, I, I think this is going to work out fine for my deliverance. And he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, will be honored in my body, whether in life or in death. Now, if we think about this, most of us try to do things to live longer. Okay, some of us watch our diet. Okay, I I don't usually. I have to say usually. Pastor Jim has been out eating with me, and he knows what my normal eating habits are like. But I have a wedding. I have a tux to fit into. My daughter's getting married next month, and I have to fit in that tux. I am going to. Now, people are saying, well, you could resize the tux. No, that's not the point. (laughs) I'm going to look good in the pictures, too. But usually, I've, I, you know, I've never needed to watch the way I eat because I exercise. I try, I've always tried to extend my life. I've always been want to be healthy and be keeping my body well. And th- we often want to do that because our, this life that we know is very valuable to us. But what you see here is from Paul is he, he, he recognizes in his body he's suffered for the cause of Christ. He's not saying he wants to live longer. He's not saying that in his body he's, he's taking care of himself so he can live longer. No, his body bears the marks of his, de- de- his devotion to Christ. 
He's been lashed with a whip. He's got scars on his back from whippings. He's been mistreated over and over again. So when he says that his body is, is bearing that, he knows that he's not afraid to now go before, even if it means losing his head. That is what he knew he could. By the way, he knew he would never suffer crucifixion because he was a Roman citizen. Crucifixion was so vile, no Roman citizen could ever be crucified. And so he knew that was, would never be the outcome as many of the other disciples suffered. But he is encouraged. He thinks that whatever happens, he will be honoring Christ. You know, in the first century, uh, when people were being martyred, they actually had the belief that there was a gift of martyrdom. That some people were specially gifted to suffer for Christ in such a way that they would die for him and be able to present God and glorify God in an honorable way. Now, I don't think that was an actual gift. I used to put in my doctrinal statement all the time, I said, I I believe certain gifts have ceased, and I included the gift of martyrdom just to see who actually read my doctrinal statement, because they would usually look there to see if I believe that the the gifts of tongues have ceased. I've only had one person in, in all the time ever ask me about that one, Maybe people didn't read it as clearly. But the reality is, is Paul's not looking to be a martyr here, but he's willing to be if that's what God calls him to do. He's saying if it means that in his body, his body will be sacrificed for the cause of Christ, he's ready for that. Why? He is ready for that because he has an eternal perspective. He has a perspective that is not here on earth trying to live to please himself but that which is in eternity. I pastored for many years at a Chinese church. And so one of the things that was an interest to me, now, okay, let me first explain. What is a Jewish boy doing pastoring a Chinese church? My wife is from Hong Kong. Does that explain it well enough? Yeah, I'm hearing nods. Everyone always is like, how did you get at a Chinese church? Uh, so what, what ended up happening is I was reading in Voice of the Martyrs about the church in China. And why it was growing. It was growing so well, even under persecution. The number one reason they said that it was growing was because the Christians in China have an eternal perspective. Their mindset is for eternity, not the earth. They, they know that on earth, when they become a Christian in China, they have to give up all of their earthly goods. Let me explain how you become the pastor of the church in the underground church in China. When the government finds who the pastor is, and usually takes about two years, that's the average lifespan of the pastor in the Chinese church, underground church in China. When the pastor is identified, the government hauls him off either to a work camp or a death camp, but either way, he's no longer the pastor. The person they choose to be the next pastor is whoever knows the Bible the best. They don't have seminary. And whoever chooses that, whoever says, okay, I know the Bible, but I'm being selected as a pastor, he knows he has a two-year lifespan. He's not living when he takes that job for here and now. They have a very real understanding that their expectation is two years. It's said that many of the pastors in China, when they become pastor, start saying goodbyes to their family. 
How can men do that? They do that because they have a perspective that Paul has. A perspective for something that is greater than this life. And that is eternity. Look at what Paul says here in verse 21. And I'm sorry, I may ruin this verse for you. If any one of you have believed how many people interpret this, I'm going to interpret it properly, and I may ruin it for you. Sorry. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I know so many people that interpret that, and they focus on the first half. To me, to live is Christ. But when it eventually comes, when death eventually comes, that's a gain too. Where's the focus? Living. So many people focus on the living part of that. That is not Paul's focus. Look at Paul's focus in verse 22. For I am, for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He is not saying that for him to live is Christ, meaning I'm going to live out my life here on earth as best I can, and when I eventually die, I'll get gain. He's saying he can't decide between these two. He can't decide between life and death. In other words, he's saying he's desiring both. Many people are not desiring death. Paul's desiring death. You're saying, I don't know, Andrew. Is that really what it says? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 23, he says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. This word in the Greek for hard pressed is a very interesting word. It is the word used when they would take animals to slaughter. Not to get too graphic, but it's necessary. They would have two guardrails on each side of the animal because they don't want to get hurt when they slit the cattle's throat and they don't want to hurt the meat. So what they would do is have them go down these two guardrails. It would be very wide at one end and it'd get narrower as the cattle would go down the, the guardrails. And the guardrail would get so tight that when they get to the end and the cattle can't move, it's wedged in and it can't move to the right or to the left. That's our word for hard pressed. Paul is saying that he is so stuck between life and death, desiring to live and desiring to die, that he feels stuck like a cattle going to slaughter, wedged in between the two. That is the term he uses here. And he ends up saying, that, as we see in verse 23, that he's saying he can't choose between them. In verse 24, he, or sorry, 23 at the end, he says, my desire, my desire is to depart this earth and be in eternity with Christ. How can Paul sit there when people are slandering him while he's in prison and he doesn't have a way to defend himself? It's not like he could just kick off a blog on the internet. No, he's in prison. He's limited. He can't go visit these churches face to face and defend himself. He can write letters. We know he did. But he can't defend himself face to face. And how can he allow that and rejoice even in that? We see the answer right here. 
Because he had a perspective for eternity that far outreaches his perspective for living. He knows that life here will be beneficial. He knows that life here will be fruitful for ministry's sake. And although that's a good thing, his desire is to be dead. That seems strange. Now, I understand if you look at what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you read through that whole chapter, you end up seeing that Paul gives an argument that as our physical body fails, what he calls a, a tent or a tabernacle, as it fails more and more, we get a greater desire for heaven. And that is true. I mean, as certain body parts don't quite work like they used to, we kind of can't wait for that day when everything works again, right? I, I train martial arts, and so I go in sometimes, and there's times where I come out and things just hurt, and I don't even know why. I mean, sometimes I know why. You know, when I had a 300-pound guy land on my chest, I understood why my ribs hurt. But there's times where I just come out, and I think, man, this is a new ache. I don't even understand why it happened. And, and there's times where I go, ah, oh, just, I can't wait for heaven till like body parts start working again. I don't have the pain. Some of you are thinking, if you want to avoid the pain, just stop doing it, right? I didn't always say that I was the smartest guy in the world, okay? But the, here's the thing, that is not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that he's desiring death because then he avoids the suffering of prison. He's not saying he wants, he, he's looking forward to death so that all of his pain goes away. He's not saying that he's looking forward to death so, so that he can have the, the, the sinless life. That's not what he's saying. The reason for him, he says it in verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part. He doesn't say to depart so that I can be sin free to be perfected, to be glorified. No, he says that to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What he is looking forward to is not the, the, the being apart from sin and suffering. What he looks forward to is to being at the feet of Christ. That is what gives him that eternal mindset, a mindset that can where he can suffer through people slandering him. It is difficult to deal with slander, misreputation. Both Pastor and Justin know that I've been going through this in the past couple of weeks. One of the biggest atheist blogs uh, out there have written an article about me claiming that I claim that all homosexuals are pedophiles. The irony is they took a message where I was proclaiming that as Christians, when evangelizing people like homosexuals and pedophiles, we should be showing love. Tolerance not necessarily for their sin, but tolerance to the person in the sense that we want to share the gospel. I was explaining that we, I never bring up those issues when I talk to people like that, because I don't need to. They already know it's a sin. And, I, and it's amazing that in a message where I'm teaching that we should show love to people who think we hate them, they take that and completely twist it and now an article that has been read by tens of thousands of people is completely slamming me. How much do you think I want to write an article correcting that? 
And yet I know that doing that will just fan the flames. I've been getting emails and texts and phone calls and direct messages on Twitter and Facebook like I've never had before. And I mean vile stuff. They are not a fun group to work to deal with. I want everything within me wants to respond and correct the record. Can you, can you agree with that? That you, when people do that to you, you have that sense? Paul would have had that sense as well. But here you have Paul saying, you know what? I can't wait to be at the feet of Christ. It's so much so that these guys slander me. Fine. I'm in prison. Fine. Because I want to be with Christ. I can't wait for that day. I think he's personally, my impression from reading this text, I think he actually is wishing and hoping that they would take his life, but he's somehow confident that it's God's will that he would live. I kind of, this is my vision that Paul's saying, you know, I really want to be dead and be with Christ, but as long as I'm stuck here on earth, it's beneficial for you guys. So I think I'm going to be stuck here with you. That's the Rappaport interpretation. You know, because here he's in prison and he could be saying, what in the world am I doing here? I had a friend of mine who went to, he lives out in Washington State. And he lived in Jersey, but he grew up in Washington. He went to visit his mother. He was uh, a counselor at the Addiction Recovery Center where I used to do counseling. And he went home and we didn't hear from him. He was supposed to be home on Friday, and we never heard from him until Tuesday. It was a holiday weekend. Uh, he was supposed to fly home. When he finally got home, he told us this, the account, what happened? Uh, he, he had a very early morning flight, and he decided he was going to you know, stay at a hotel so he didn't bother his mother, and he would just catch the flight. And he figured, got to his hotel, figured to go get a cup of coffee. He gets a cup of coffee, and he's walking back, and a guy comes up to him, a homeless guy, that says, hey, do you have a light? And he said, no. And all of a sudden, two policemen on bicycles came right up to both of them, told both of them, put your hands on the, on the car. They do so. Now, out of this homeless guy, they're pulling out a crack pipe. They're pulled out credit cards, blank credit cards, so that someone can obviously make new credit cards with numbers, and all this other stuff. And he, and he said he's thinking to himself, man, this guy is in trouble. Until he hears the officer say, let that guy go, we want him. Turning to my friend, and he went, what? We have, an, we have an a warrant for him that's many years old. So he went to prison. Well, he went to jail, I guess. Prison's different, right? So he, he goes in the sitting room, and he ends up sitting there, and there's one cot open, and there happens to be a Bible open to Romans. So he walks over to the cot, and he opens it up. He starts reading aloud to the other 20 people that are there, Romans. And he starts explaining the text. It was a holiday weekend, so he couldn't see the judge until, until Tuesday. And so what ended up happening is he was sitting there in prison, and he said, he said, Lord, I don't know why you have me here. You must have me here for a reason. So since there's a Bible here, I'm going to proclaim the gospel until they let me out. He was supposed to show up for court, except for one slight problem. When it got before the judge, they had no record of why he was even arrested. There was no case. The, the, the guards were sent down to let him free. Maybe a little nervous. I mean, this is a day and age where everyone sues everyone for everything. They come down, they said to him, Tom, we're sorry, we have actually no case. There's no record of why you were arrested. You're free to go. 
He turned to them and said, excuse me, I'm not done yet. Can you give me five more minutes? He led four people to Christ in prison. He kept in contact with two others. He said, I don't know why I'm in prison, but God must know. As long as I'm here, I'll serve you. That's Paul's attitude. As long as he's here on earth, God, I'll keep doing what you want me to do. I don't know what it is. I would rather be dead and be with you. That's not the model most of us have, but that is what gives him this eternal perspective that he can endure everything he went through. Because of the fact that he so desired to be with Christ that he wanted to die. He says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy of your faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's he's very confident that he is going to see them again. He's very confident that he's going to be set free, even though that's not his desire. Now, I do not believe Paul had a martyrdom complex. He didn't. There are some in the early church that did. That is not what Paul's looking for. Paul's not looking to be a martyr. Why do we know that? Because he's saying that if he's here on earth, he's going to keep trying to serve as much as he can. But he has such a great desire to be with Jesus Christ that he can suffer in ways that many of us cannot fathom. No, I don't know where your struggles are. I'm pretty sure, just knowing humanity, that at least 90% in the room would admit that they're struggling in something, or with something, or with someone. We all have different struggles. I don't know what yours are. And to be honest with you, people will say, oh, I can identify with your struggle. No, you can't. Everybody's struggle is independent. Everyone's struggle is unique to them because we're all different people. There's things that I could struggle with that I deal with very differently than you. And my struggle may be a real great struggle to me and to you, you're like, dude, get over it. But you may have some things that I would say, hey, get over it, and you really have a struggle with it. What is it that's going to help us? What is it that provides for us a mindset so that when we are struggling, even when people are slandering us, even when people are doing things, that putting us in prison, threatening our life, what is it that's going to help? Having the eternal perspective. So loving Christ that he is your greatest joy, that there is nothing that you ever want more than to be with Christ. Because all else fails in comparison. I have a saying I always say, whenever things, when I can't make decisions, when things are tough, will this matter 10,000 years from now? Kind of puts things in perspective with me. Because much of the things that I think are big issues right now, 10,000 years from now, I won't care a whit. Won't be an issue. Helps me. Because we can make real big mountains out of molehills, can't we? And we make something seem like it's really intense and we really are suffering, we're really struggling, and it's a small thing. It's nothing 10,000 years from now. 
The question is, 10,000 years from now, what am I looking forward to? 10,000 years from now, I will still be so in awe of being with Christ. I won't even be worrying about anything else. People ask me how I could save my mother who passed away, and I, I openly say I have no reason to believe she's in heaven. I, I, with the way that we are raised in hating Christ, I believe that my mother is probably at this moment in hell. That sounds horrible, I understand. But when I get to heaven and I see Christ, as much as I love my mother, everything will be put in perspective. 10,000 years from now, what I'm going to be still doing is worshiping Christ. I will never get to an end of how much I love him, honor him, want to please him, and just to sit at his feet and learn from him. It will never end. The worship we will have for Christ will never end. Do we look so forward to that? That we put that as the first and foremost thing in our life. That any struggles that we have, financial, or if it's slander like Paul was dealing with, or maybe it's living with an unsaved spouse, or maybe it's people you work with, whatever it may be, does that pale in comparison to the love that you have for Jesus Christ? Because if your love for Him, your desire for Him is so great like it was for Paul, that you have a perspective for eternity, then the things of this earth, as the hymnist would say, grow faded. The reality is that we will have an eternal perspective like Paul has when Christ becomes the ultimate priority of our life. R.C. Sproul had said that for him, in death, is to be with Christ. He said if he gets to heaven and Christ wasn't there, he doesn't want to be there. Now we understand that that's impossible to happen, but is that our desire? Is our desire such that we want to be with Christ so much that we don't, don't want to be in heaven. Because unfortunately, the modern gospel message in America is all about going to heaven, not being with Christ. Most people want to get out of hell free card, not be with Christ. For the Christian, the greatest desire should be Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll announce some of the books in the back while the music team comes up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed that you would have anything at all to do with us. You are a great and holy God and we are in awe of you. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives. We praise you and we will for all of eternity. Help us to have this eternal perspective in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.